The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Wow, bringing the energy. Today on the lab report, we're going to talk to Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Talking hormones with the hormone expert. Precision medicine and getting your hormones on track. Tracked. Tracked. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. In a similar vein, mm-hmm. Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman. Oh, they even look alike. I have a fi- you have a 50-50 shot. I That's get it right. wrong every single it's like time. Dermot Mulroney and Dylan McDermott. I have no idea who you're talking about. Oh my goodness. Hello. Hey Michael Chapman, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Patty Devers? <laughs> Crushing it. Nice. How do you not know who these actors are? What do you how, what do you mean how do I the not know? The two Bills look alike and so does Dylan and Dermot. I don't. I don't know who you're referring to. Yeah, he's one of those character actors that was in things like Law and Order and Steel Magnolias. I and I know. I don't. I don't watch TV. Well, he was in Twister. Oh God, here we go. I mean, Paxton it, or it Pullman? Ha- no, it has to be Pullman. Yeah, that sounds right. Anyway, <laughs> this is a podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics it's called The Lab Report. It's where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and some other things when we feel like mixing it in there. And today, man, we have an exciting show. But before yeah. we talk about it, Patty. Give the people the deeds. Well, first of all, welcome, and thanks for returning. If you're not new, maybe go to iTunes or Spotify, hit the subscribe button, rate, review, download, share it with your friends. Family. Yeah. Why Pets. not? Neighbors. Yeah. Strangers. Anyone. Uh-huh. And if you have additional feedback, you can send it to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. Well, and with that, I don't want to waste a ton of time. I, I mean, we've already talked about Baxter or Pullman and clarified <laughs> that we're wrong 99% yes. of the time. So. It's like that thing when you have a USB and you're trying to get the USB into the USB port uh-huh. and you, you can, you, there's one of two ways and you have a 50, 50 chance of getting it in there. Getting it wrong every time. Every single time. How mm-hmm. is it upside down? Every time I put, I've got to get right. lucky at some point <laughs> or not, but you know, people have tuned in not to hear about our confusion of actors, nor your USB Ev- port. Everyone is experienced. No, I think everyone's here because we have Dr. Sarah Gottfried on the show. And if you're in functional medicine or integrative medicine, precision medicine, she's the go-to expert on hormones. And she's a professional smarty pants. I mean, Harvard trained, MIT. She's really smart. Yeah, you ever get intimidated when you when we bring on people who have this degree, this pedigree of oh, yeah. accolades scientifically, MD, PhD. I mean... It's really intimidating. I, I can't even speak sometimes because I'm worried about every single word that's going to come out of my mouth. Be like, wow, that was not how you say stuff. The great news is she happens to be charming and awesome. So without further ado, let's call Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Michael, can you get the thesaurus? So, Patty, uh, today we have Dr. Sarah Gottfried. And I know. if you are Freaking not familiar, out. I know, right? So, Dr. Gottfried, MD, is a Harvard educated physician, speaker, and author of several New York Times best selling books, such as The Hormone Cure, The Hormone Reset Diet, Younger, and The Brain Body Diet. Her latest book, Women, Food, and Hormones A Four Week Plan to Achieve Hormone Balance, Lose Weight, and Feel Like Yourself Again, is due for release later this year. After graduating as a physician scientist from Harvard Medical School and MIT, what? Dr. Gottfried completed her residency at the University of California at San Francisco, and she is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and practices evidence-based, integrative, precision, and functional medicine. 
Dr. Gottfried is a clinical assistant professor in Department of Integrative Medicine and Nutritional Sciences at Thomas Jefferson University and director of Precision Medicine at the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health. And she has been featured in numerous national and international magazines and television programs, as we're well aware. So with that, (laughs) thank you for being here. Hey, I'm so happy to be with you. We're honored. And, you know, just to start out, although you're conventionally trained, your journey to root cause medicine is kind of similar to many that we hear. Can you touch a little bit on your life experiences that caused your mind shift toward that personalized lifestyle approach? Well, I... I feel like I've always been integrative because I grew up with a great grandmother who really believed that nutrition was the most important lever when it comes to, you know, having a really full, rich, deeply lived experience on this planet. So I grew up with this woman who practiced yoga every day, who Mm -hmm. had a whole foods uh, diet and really taught me that, you know, you don't find the answer to health in the bottom of a pill bottle. Mm -hmm. So that was that was my experience growing up, but it wasn't until I was conventionally trained. I was finished with residency. I was in my thirties and I had my first kid that I came up against mainstream medicine and kind of the lack of answers that I was able to find. Mm -hmm. So I had one kid at this point, this was when I was in my mid thirties, I had uh, so much trouble losing weight after I had that baby. Uh, I had just this feeling of so much stress and just like I was aging faster than felt normal for Mm -hmm. being in my thirties. So that's when I went to my lovely mainstream primary care doctor and said, listen, I've got all of these problems. You know, I'm, I'm stressed. I, uh, I have a hard time winding down at night. I have a hard time, um, enjoying my husband the way that I want to enjoy him. And I just, I don't know, I want something more. Mm -hmm. And I remember being offered an antidepressant and also a birth control pill. And that's Mm -hmm. really what got me to turn and to say, listen, uh, this is a way that mainstream medicine really fails us. Uh, That was one example of a way that women are failed. Mm -hmm. Men are failed too. Mm -hmm. And that got me to say, this is not the way I want to practice. I really, I need to bring in root cause medicine. I need to be looking at um, a much deeper phenotype right. in terms of what my patients are experiencing. Great, right, right. great. Well, we're glad you did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and as sort of a precision medicine, functional medicine, key opinion leader with a Harvard background, what's been your experience in trying to bring kind of where you're at from precision medicine and these concepts to more of the conventional space? Yeah, frankly, it hasn't been that great. I think... Um, There's a few, I think language matters a lot. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that precision medicine is a way of describing this way of working that mainstream physicians are more open to. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy about that. I'm really happy about that because, you know, this, this idea of doing multiomic assessment of a patient where we're looking at the genome, we're looking at the microbiome, we're looking at the metabolome, Mm -hmm. we're looking at the exposome and then trying to to utilize all of those different threads of data to come up with a, an individualized protocol for a patient. I think that resonates with most mainstream physicians. When I call it functional medicine, that tends to be viewed in a more, at least within academic circles, as a little more fringe, 
you know, the, the objection is always show me the evidence. Where's the evidence that this gives you better outcomes than, you know, conventional care. And our outcomes in functional medicine are more limited. Mm-hmm. They're more limited mm-hmm. in precision medicine too, but at least the oncology colleagues that we have have kind of pushed precision medicine forward. And we had President Obama mm-hmm. form the Precision Medicine Initiative in 2015. So I think in some ways precision medicine has been a way to talk about this, this work, which is really, you know, how do we understand health in a much deeper way and not just the absence of disease. I love it. And I, I just really appreciate your bringing this to places like Thomas Jefferson University and, and just bringing this into to the mainstream conventional universities, which is great. But based on all your amazing work, it's clear you're our go-to expert in our field as it relates to women's health and balancing women's hormones. And your upcoming book entitled Women, Food, and Hormones addresses the unique challenges that women face trying to lose weight due to those hormonal imbalances. Can you talk to us a little bit about the influence of diet on hormonal balance and what are some strategies we can try there? Well, diet, I think, is one of the most important levers that we have when it comes to metabolism. And I'm defining metabolism here maybe a little broader than most people might think of it. I think of of metabolism as this aggregate of all of the biochemical processes in the body, most of which are related to energy. So when it comes to metabolism, I think food food really creates the backbone of the hormones that you make. So whether you're talking about insulin or um, you know some of these uh, sex hormones that can become out of whack for many women, things like cortisol, estrogen, testosterone, growth hormone, what we know is that food is really essential to get those cofactors that we need to get uh, you know, we need plenty of healthy fat because that's that's how the sex hormone pathway works, right? It's right. converted right. from cholesterol to pregnenolone to the sex hormones. So it plays a really essential role. I think the part that is often missing is that similar to disease-based medicine, a lot of folks rely on calories in, calories out, or they rely on uh you know, could you just give me some medication to help me with balancing my hormones, whether that's insulin resistance or something else. And if we take a step back and look just at the condition of prediabetes, that's something I have a great interest in and it's what I do research in at Thomas Jefferson University. With prediabetes, from a precision medicine perspective, when you think about that transition from health to prediabetes to you know, later on down the road, potentially diabetes, and then hopefully reversal Mm -hmm. back to health. We know that the most effective strategy to prevent prediabetes or to reverse it is food, food and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that's well proven. I mean, that's proven in plenty of trials that have been done looking at diabetes. We know that nutrition and lifestyle has more impact than any medication that you could take. And yet, when I went through my medical training, I wasn't taught much about mm-hmm. nutrition and about mm-hmm. lifestyle factors or how to counsel patients about them. So you asked for um, a few tips. I would say the way that I think of uh, metabolism is that we really have to understand what the drivers are for the patient who is in front of us. You know, I was just talking to a patient, for instance, who is a uh, uh, a physician 
She's got a lot of stress that she juggles. We can see when we do some advanced biomarker testing that she's got some issues with cortisol. She's got some issues with dysestrogenism. And uh, her insulin and glucose are actually quite good. Hmm. So she's someone who needs some help with, you know, kind of how stress affects the sex hormone pathways. She needs some help with nutrition. She's very low in B vitamins. I know that from a metabolomics test that I ran. <laughs> so, we, so we need to make some adjustments to help her with her metabolism. Mm-hmm. But I don't want people to have the impression that, you know, it's 100% glucose and insulin. I think that's part of the story mm-hmm. for a lot of us, but not for all of us. Got right. it. Right. <clears throat> well, and with that, you know, it's interesting because it seems like even insulin resistance these days and like what you were talking about pre-diabetes has gotten finally a little bit of its like due attention um, as far as how much it contributes to just so many different pathologies, chronic diseases. And I'm wondering, like, do you use things like continuous glucose monitoring? Do you feel like that's helpful as it relates to pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, or even hormone imbalance? Definitely. So I, I use a continuous glucose monitor probably in about 80% of my patients. What? And here's wow. why. You know, I that woman I just described is a bit of a anomaly. Her insulin resistance score is is really low. She's uh, that's not, you know, the cause of her metabolic issues. But what we know is that when you just take a snapshot, say once a year, when you go see a physician and you look at fasting glucose, hemoglobin A1C, we know that that misses a lot of people with prediabetes. Mm -hmm. So when you use dense data, when you have comprehensive analysis, such as with a continuous glucose monitor, we know that it helps us diagnose about 16% more patients with prediabetes, probably about 2% more patients with diabetes. And it just tells us a lot more about how that individual responds to food. Because we know that's very personal. Mm-hmm. You know, some people can eat more carbohydrates. Other people are more carbon tolerant. And so when they have a sweet potato, their glucose spikes up to 200. So part of what we want to do is to be able to individualize. And the continuous glucose monitor really allows us to do that. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that data is very compelling to patients once you explain it to them. But you talked a little bit about cortisol. So do you recommend any other wearable devices such as HRV monitoring? And, and what role do you see that playing in optimizing hormones? Yeah, I love HRV testing. So I think, you know, if we take a step back and talk for a moment about HRV, we know it's a measure of the balance between the sympathetic nervous system, you know, fight, flight, freeze, Mm -hmm. versus the parasympathetic autonomic nervous system, which is rest and digest. And what I find with a lot of my patients, especially those with a lot of stress, is that their HRV is quite low. So that reflects not enough vagal activity, not enough parasympathetic activity, maybe too much of the uh, sympathetic nervous system. And so we have to help those patients get back into balance. So with HRV, you know, it's amazing to me how modifiable it is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of different factors that relate to HRV, heart rate variability, that time between each of your heartbeats. Have you guys talked about HRV before? Yeah, Yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. So people have a basic sense of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what is amazing to me, I just had a patient last week who was telling me that her HRV, as measured with her aura ring, was kind of down in the 30s when we first started working together. We've worked a lot on gut rehab, 
we've focused on opening up her detox pathways and her HRV is now consistently over 70. She even had a day last weekend, uh, I guess the Sunday before, since I talked to her last week, where her HRV was 92. Hmm. And that's the kind of thing that we're seeking with wearables, you know, to look at the trend over time and to help patients, you know, do these end of one experiments, which is a key tool of precision medicine so that we can really find what's most impactful for that person. Right, right. And optimizing hormones, you know, I think there's always this discussion about, uh, especially within the functional medicine, precision medicine, and maybe some of our anti-aging communities about when do you reach for the actual bioidentical supplementation and, or are we talking about root causes and kind of fixing the overall overall balance between hormones. What is your approach as far as trying to correct hormone dysfunction, imbalance, and and maybe when do you reach for something like bioidentical hormone replacement? Well, when it comes to bioidentical hormones, I would say that um, I'm a fan. <laughs> so I always assess my patients for whether it's a good fit for them. And this applies to both men and women. So with bioidentical hormones, you know, part of what we're looking at is what symptoms do you have? So if we stick with women for a bit, I'm looking at, you know, in a woman who's say perimenopausal or menopausal, I'm looking at, you know, what are your symptoms? Are you having vasomotor symptoms? Is sleep disrupted? Are you feeling fatigued? What about mood? What's going on with brain function? Are you noticing that executive function is changing? Are you feeling more brain fog? Are you noticing that cerebral hypometabolism that tends to affect women over the age of 40? So those are some of the symptoms that I'm looking at, and we can even refine that further. And we know with bioidentical hormones, you need to have a compelling reason. I think, if anything, the, the, the issues and the problems of the Women's Health Initiative have gotten us to shore up the evidence behind what we recommend with bioidentical hormones. Although, you know, my, my quick version of WHI is that it was the wrong study done in the wrong women with the wrong intervention, the wrong mm-hmm. hormones at the wrong time in their life. So it didn't really answer a lot of the questions that I have about bioidenticals. But in general, the way that I approach it is I put together a matrix with a patient where we're looking not just at symptoms, we're looking at genomics, we're looking, you know, I, I use your test quite a bit, as well as some other genomic testing, looking at hormone balance. I also do a lot of biomarker testing, especially cardiometabolic function, because we know that uh, perimenopause and menopause is where a lot of women catch up to men in terms of uh, coronary heart disease, as well as other issues related to cardiovascular disease. We also know that, um, you know, we want to look at the pros and cons. It's almost like a balance sheet, right? We want to look at, okay, what are the benefits in terms of brain health, in terms of bone health. Uh, We also know that even from the Women's Health Initiative that women had less progression to diabetes when they were treated, even with the devil we know, the conjugated equine estrogen, the medroxyprogesterone acetate. Mm -hmm. And then there's the risks, of course, that we have to look at, such as breast cancer risk, stroke, blood clots. And so many of those things we can assess by looking at genomics together with biomarkers. So that's how I approach it. In general, I'm a fan and I am looking for compelling reasons not to give it in someone who feels really motivated to go on hormone therapy. 
How, how often do the imbalances correct themselves when you're looking at other root causes, things like stress, for example? How often does that happen? How often can you fix yeah. like wayward cortisol? <laughs> or or <laughs> other, other hormones by fixing cortisol? Yeah, that's a good question. So cortisol has its hands in a lot of other hormones, as you know, from the sex hormone pathway. And we know, for instance, that, um, you know, my personal problem when I was in my 30s was high cortisol. So I was someone who just made a ton of it and uh, I still have that vulnerability. And it affects insulin, it affects um, uh it affects thyroid function. Right. It can it can reduce testosterone. Yeah. So, so by fixing yeah. cortisol, how often do you see patients' symptoms get better and their imbalances improve just based on that? Well, it's rare that we're just doing cortisol in isolation. Often we're doing you know multiple things at once. But I would say in the pure cases where you know I have someone who's got uh, say low progesterone or there's some sex hormones that are low and we're working on cortisol, I do see an effect. I think that that can be beneficial, but I would say that's the minority of my patients. You know, in most of my patients, we're working on cortisol and kind of getting it to that Goldilocks position Mm -hmm. alongside uh, some other strategies that we're doing to balance hormones. Got it. Got it. And even with that, the role of the microbiome in hormonal balance isn't always intuitive to many people. Can you speak to why a healthy microbiome might be important? Yeah, the microbiome is essential. I think that's something that we've really learned in the past 10 to 15 years, and we're continuing to learn a lot more about it. We're still in the early days of really understanding, uh, the full impact, but I think, um, you know, what, what we understand is that when you look at the microbiome, the set of DNA that belongs to the microbes that we carry around in our gut, there's a subset of the microbiome called the astrobolome. And those are the, the microbes in their DNA that contribute to estrogen balance. Mm-hmm. So what I find is that the microbiome is an essential part of the control system for hormones. And here I'm going to totally geek out with you. I'm going to sound like a bioengineer because I am one. Yay. And, and what we know is that, you know, it's, it's not that we want to measure all hormones and then like top off each one at a time. We want to be thinking about how do these work together? What is, as you're asking about, what are some of these interdependent relationships that exist between these hormones so that we can go as upstream as possible to try to balance hormones and so the control system, at least the way I think of it right now, is the HPA TGG. So that's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal thyroid gonadal gut axis, right? <laughs> Yay. So I love all that. Of those are too all. many things for an axis. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very uh, long, long-winded <laughs> axis, but but it captures, you know these different factors that we want to be considering. Yeah. And the gut, of course, you know, one of the most important modulators for the gut is food. Mm. Stress is also an important modulator in terms of uh, increasing intestinal permeability and also a direct effect on dysbiosis. So yes, I would say uh, the gut is an essential part of the control system for your hormones. 
Yeah, I, I love I love that um, description of it too. And I think so many times that you know even something like a marker that we have on a stool test, beta glucuronidase, which is involved in like the what you're talking about, the estrobilome and detoxification of estrogen. We think of it kind of in this one sided way where we're like it's bad when it's high because you might be recycling too much estrogen. And then people always ask the question too, well, is there a problem when it's low? And I'm like. You know, honestly, I think it makes sense that we have these mechanisms for a reason. Beta-glucuronidase, like there's things that we, there's a certain amount that we probably naturally in a healthy environment recycle. And that also relates to vitamin D and our other fat-soluble hormones too. So, you know, we have to think of it in this sort of contextual balance. So I love that. Yeah, Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, You know, another thing too that I wonder as it, I think there's a lot of question marks around dosages and it's just back to kind of the bioidentical hormone replacement. What do you use as one of your main leverage points around deciding about dose? And we don't have to get into like specific milligrams type thing, but I'm just wondering like, what are you commonly using as your leverage point? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, it depends on menopausal age. Mm -hmm. So if I have a woman, for instance, who's in perimenopause, who's got mood issues and she really noticed the onset of depression or even anxiety symptoms that were associated with changes in the menstrual cycle, which is the definition of perimenopause. In that woman, I'm more likely to prescribe an estradiol patch, typically at higher doses than our standard. So I'll start at, you know, 0.0375 milligrams, but I'll be quick to increase the dose of estradiol up to 0.05, 0.05, 0.075, even 0.1, because that's what's been shown in randomized trials to be beneficial for mood. So that's one factor. We know that when it comes to mood, once a woman is in menopause, the effect of estradiol, at least in the literature, is less profound. So it seems to be the perimenopausal women who really benefit from that. Mm-hmm. So it depends in some ways, Michael, what, what your outcome is that you're after. Mm-hmm. If I have a woman who's looking to increased bone density. As an example, even though estradiol is not approved for the prevention or treatment of osteoporosis, we know that really low doses, even a quarter dose, is associated with improved bone density um, at both the hip and the spine. Uh, So I'll tend to go lower dose in those folks. Mm -hmm. I often use hormones for their immunomodulatory effects. And in that situation, I like to go more with the lower doses. But in general, I have, I would say, kind of a light hand where I like to start low and gradually increase using an end of one framework Mm -hmm. and depending on what the outcomes are that we're seeking. Got it. Can I piggyback on the on on that point of it with supplementation? I mean, you talked a little bit about the WHI and I think we share your problems with it, the who, the when and the what. As it relates to prescribing bioidentical supplements, do you have an age limit? where you won't go any further or where you you stop? Or is it just perimenopausal and menopausal? Do you have an age where you stop? Yeah, another good question that I I think has not really been answered by the literature yet. So, you know, the latest guidelines are that we are careful about initiating hormone therapy, that we do it within 10 years of menopause, or you know, the cutoff is somewhere around age 60 to 65. There's a little bit of a gray area there in terms of the guidelines from, say, the North American Medical Association. No, North, North American Menopause Society, sorry, <laughs> NAMS. Um, 
Yeah. So what we know is that with, um, with women who are, at least from the observational studies, we know that women can continue hormone therapy without significant risk. I think what we learned from the Women's Health Initiative is that if you wait too long, so if you have a woman who's been, you know, kind of suffering with vasomotor symptoms, has been totally untreated for those, mm -hmm. and then you suddenly give her something like conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate at age 65 or 70, that is dangerous and provocative. Right. And it's right. associated with an increased risk of heart attack. And we know that that's not a good idea. I mean, none of us would do that anyway. Right. But then, you know, maybe the more interesting question is, when do you stop? And we don't really have a clear answer to that. And so the way I handle it clinically is the way that we handle it whenever you don't have a really clear answer from the literature. And that is, I have an ongoing discussion with my patients where we go through, okay, here's the latest evidence that we have in terms of the outcomes that we're interested in. Do you want to continue mm -hmm. given that we're now, you know, say you're 60 years old, you're now in a place where this is more experimental. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Right. So it often ends up being a quality of life decision. Right. Uh, and, I, and that's important too, in terms of deciding whether to continue. Now I have, I have some patients who are 65, 70 who say, you know what, I'm having the best, best sex life that I've ever had with my husband. I don't want you to take away my hormones. Like I know what's going to happen mm -hmm. and I would rather risk, you know, the higher chance of stroke and blood clots and uh, even cardiovascular disease because the quality of life is so important to me. So yeah. that's the kind of conversation that I think we need to have risk benefits and alternatives. So yeah. true. And I think it goes along with the ongoing joke here at the lab report. It depends. Every patient is different. So every, it, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Or it's complicated. That's another <laughs> version of it depends. That's right. Yeah. The multi-omics approach <laughs> of precision is complicated. It's very complicated. It is. Um, well, in addition to encouraging everyone to anticipate your upcoming book, Women, Food, and Hormones, a four-week plan to achieve hormonal balance, lose weight, and feel like yourself again, how else can listeners find you and learn more or perhaps work directly with you? The best way is to go to my website, sarahgottfriedmd.com. You can also learn more about the book there. You can get some free downloads that can help you uh, go deeper with the book. In terms of my medical practice, I've got a long wait list, but I do still see executives and professional athletes as well as uh, normal folks. Uh, and that's through Thomas Jefferson University. You can just Google the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health. That's the best way to, to reach out to those folks. Got it. Well, Dr. Got Gottfried, it. we can't thank you enough. We've waited a long time to have you on and we're honored. But before yes. I let you go, we do have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Uh, yeah, we have a ridiculous, silly question called the, the fireball, fireball question that we ask everyone. It's different. It's meant to make you uncomfortable, but it's not really. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite wild animal? <laughs> Uh, okay. That is fun. So I, I would say coyotes. Oh. I live in an area in California where coyotes kind of have the upper hand. <laughs> you know, when we walk our little labradoodle, uh, in the meadow near our house, I'm always thinking about coyotes. And it reminds me a bit of growing up in Alaska hmm. where humans do not have the upper hand. Right. So I love the humility of wild animals. 
especially coyotes. I love that. <laughs> Perfect answer. answer. And yeah. and again, we can't thank you enough. We're going to encourage the audience to go check out all of your books and your upcoming book when it releases sometime later this year. I think September is when it comes out, Dr. Godfrey. September 21st. Great, yes. great. Well, congratulations on that. And again, we can't thank you enough for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Patty. Thanks, Michael. Not a lot of coyote fans out there. <laughs> they get a bad rap, I think. They certainly do. I mean, partly because they're eating our pets all the time. That's right. Just don't keep your pets outside. But I will say, I loved talking to Dr. Gottfried. I really appreciate her because in functional medicine, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is nebulous and not yeah. understood and overused at times. And so I love her approach. Yeah. And I I like um, the fact that it, it's hard to even get somebody to really talk about the science behind bioidentical mm-hmm. hormone replacement therapy because there's like all these different camps out there. Oh, so the fact that that's right. she has done a lot of the research around this makes me feel very confident, very comfortable in the applications that she's talking about. So it's super informative. I can't, I'd like to have her back on and talk more about it, honestly. Yeah, me too. I wonder if she's free tomorrow. We need a new fireball. Ooh, yeah. Next time on The Lab Report, Heber Cannon. You might have heard of the Buttery Bros. I'm familiar. I follow all things related to butter. (laughs) You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Another one. Just to be clear, Uh Bill Paxton was in Twister and Bill Pullman was in Independence Day. Do you have a way to remember this? Because I I don't. Okay. Uh, Maybe something with the X and a Twister. I don't know. But don't even get me started on my other problem with Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman. They just look so much alike, which mm-hmm. prompts the question, do you have a doppelganger, someone that looks like you? I have been told that I do have one. Like just a normal everyday person or like a famous person? No, it was actually someone who played guitar. It was kind of a weird thing. <laughs> I don't know who, but yeah. If somebody sent me this picture. I was like, that's, oh, yeah, that's, that's like my promo Whoa. that I never had. <laughs>